Hello, amazing listener. Welcome to Your Dog's Best Life. Uh, we have a special guest with us here this week. Uh, Nita Gandera is a dear, dear friend of mine and one of the most talented and amazing trainers I have had the privilege of being abused by. Um, <laughs> and I say that in the best possible way because I am a better I trainer for it. I am abusive. It's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm better for it. I'm better for it. Um, and I will, I will let Nita give us a little, a little breakdown, but she trains her dogs in, um, well, everything pretty much, except I don't think you do like bite sports, but pretty much everything else is on the table, right? I would love to do the bite sports. I just have to have the right dog to do the bite sports. So yes, um, I compete with my dogs in obedience and rally. And I used to do a lot of barn hunt. I haven't done it in a couple of years now. I do scent work. I do carding and drafting. I do herding. I play with disc, hoping that someday we'll actually be able to compete in that. Um, yeah, all the things. Yeah, the things. anything. we Oh, trick, stunt dog, anything we can do. I, I tell people, I'm a bit ADD, so I need my dogs to be a bit ADD so we can just go do everything. I can never have a specialist dog because we're going to go play everything we things. can because I get bored with the same thing day after day. And uh, full disclosure, Nita does have Later's litter mate, Ayla. So she is one of my, she's one of my puppy people. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. she got, she has Later's sibling. Yes. Yes. So you remember um, last week, I think it was Leanne, where you could hear the one puppy screaming its head off in the background. Yes. It was charming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that was Ayla in that litter. Oh, um, Okay. And, and Ayla is, is very quiet now. I can't even yes, get her yes. to, to bark on command anymore. But she, but was, she was she was decidedly opinionated before as a, she as a wheeling as a wheeling. <laughs> yes, and I just remember at one point because um, I, I held on to Ayla for a bit longer until she could get to Nita. And I remember at one point Nita sent me a message going, "I hope she's quiet in the crate." And I was like, "Shit, mm. <laughs> let me send you some earplugs. She's really um, quiet with these in." <laughs> I'll get I'll get started on that for you here in this last week that I have. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh well. It all worked out. So this week we were going to talk about um building strong dogs. And there's a there's a couple ways we could take that. We could even go we could go canine conditioning or we could go mentally strong. And I'm gonna assume you meant mentally, mentally strong, strong when you sent me that. Yes, I did mean mentally strong. Oh, so we're not power building for dogs. No, this is not bench bench pressing. <laughs> this is not bench press your beagle. No. <laughs> well that'd make you strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending how fat your beagle is. Well, that goes without saying. Um, so mentally strong dogs. Okay. Um, so when you say that, Nita, what, what does that mean to you as a trainer? Well, I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, I read a book by a very well-known trainer out there. And it was looking at the different temperaments in dogs and what that dog would be good at. And so they said, okay, the dog with this temperament, 
well, you should probably just leave them at home and not try to compete with them. And it, that, that just kept being the answer for temperament after temperament after temperament. It was, well, they're not going to enjoy showing, so don't even try. But then there's a, a very well-known obedience trainer that I follow who has taken more than one very scared, very reactive border collie and turned them into top winning obedience dogs. So I'm like, which of these trainers do I want to emulate? The one who is saying, yeah, that dog's not going to be able to do anything. Or the one who's saying, I'm not going to let this dog hide under the chair. I am going to teach this dog about her world so she can get out there and kick butt. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And well, and the idea of quitting on a dog just because, I don't know, that seems, that seems awfully obscene is to just say, oh, no, your dog's a little, a little squirrely. Just let it live. We have in, in the veterinary world, we have the UTB cat, which is the under the bed cat. <laughs> we we kind of just write them off as they're going to spend their whole lives in a state of terror underneath the bed. And, and I, and while I still don't think that's fair for cats, it's absolutely inexplicable and inexcusable in dogs. It is because dogs, you look at their history, dogs are supposed to be strong. I mean, if they're not strong, they're not going to be catching their food out in the wild and, and surviving. We need them strong and able to take down the moose and the deer and catch the rabbit and not give up. Well, and so we're talking about resilience in dogs, and that is really important, especially with the breeds that we are discussing, because these breeds tend, not Aussies as much as Border Collies, but they can be very sensitive dogs to environmental the world. I mean, Aussies can, I mean, I always joke that Aussies are fantastic ass biters and, um, you know, they're fine if you're in their face because they're like, oh, I'm too scared to bite you. But once you turn, they're like, oh, while you're leaving, let me tell you how I felt about you being in my face. And of course, we all know that Border Collies are um, sensitive. They're, you know, we're going to see a higher incidence of noise phobias and other things like that in these breeds. And we also know that dogs who've gone through quote-unquote rescue or going through the shelter system or were improperly socialized as puppies are all facing an uphill battle when it comes to a failure to be resilient in the real world. So Nita, how do you kind of set up a dog for resilience? And not necessarily a puppy because we know socialization is the answer there, but let's say they're past the five, the magic five-month mark and now you're dealing with a dog that you just adopted or your friend adopted or whoever. And where, where do you start with building that resilience into, into a dog? First thing I do is make them work for their food. And if I'm too busy to get in a full training session, I make them do something and that food is a jackpot for the right thing. So that's the first thing I do to start building that strength and that resilience. Work for your food. So like Perfect. basics, like nothing in life is free or just kind of like standing there and handing them the food or what, how do you, how do you do that? Um, if I had a brand new shelter dog, I would start with handing them the food and build that into working for the food, you know, working on behaviors, working on tricks, working on whatever I'm working on at that time, obedience, agility, but they are going to work to get their food because they would have to work to get their meals out in the wild. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so do you think, do you Sorry. think that, um, 
things like searching for their food. So, you know, kind of nose hunt kind of thing. Do you think that that's just as beneficial as actual, you know, request request behavior, reward behavior kind of thing? Yes. So, you know, we, we look at a lot of the enrichment activities and to me, the hunting for their food does a lot more for them than the licky mats and the slow feeders and that kind of stuff. Those things are fine, but those are not going to do the same kind of things that work or hunting for food is going to give to the dog. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That's one of my, like, one of my lazy, um, I haven't worked you in forever and <laughs> mommy just needs five minutes. One of my, one of my lazy things is just to do the food scatter in the yard. Like I love food scatter. Go ahead. Um, it works great for the, for the Aussie, the border collie will, you know, go six days without eating if there's a fly to distract him. So you just got a mutant border collie. No one has border collies like this dog. This is true. I mean, <laughs> that could be said about all of my dogs, frankly. Um, so what do you think, Nita, what do you think is, um, like, do you think that the resiliency that we need to see in these dogs, do we, do you feel like it is a taught kind of thing? Or do you think it's more of a, a genetic breeding kind of thing? Just overall. It's both. I think some dogs come into the world with that natural, I am the king, this is my world, step aside. But other dogs come in and go, well, you know, I don't want to anger anybody. I'm just going to sit back and not, not push any buttons because I don't want you to get mad at me. And those are the dogs that we really need to help build their resiliency and their strength. The other ones, it's almost more kind of taming it and turning it in the direction we want. So I'm I'm so I'm going to ask a real dicey question here, and you can feel free to navigate it as you <laughs> throw see. her in the deep end and let's see if she lives. Okay, uh, go. <laughs> and 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 however you choose to address it is is just fine. But um, so these dogs that you know they need to build that resi resiliency and that ability to bounce back. Um, do you feel like it's possible to do that using purely positive methods? Yes, but sometimes my positive methods take a little different picture than a lot of what is put out there as positive only. See, I would answer the same way because, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this too, Nita. So I kind of specialize in these kinds of dogs, these fearful dogs and kind of helping create resilience in dogs who don't otherwise has it, have it. And so of course, for me, the big thing is exactly where you start. I need them to take food. If they can't take food, I'm kind of shit out of luck. And then I want to put them on play um, and get them kind of getting into the play kind of mental state. And then I'm going to start asking them to face their challenges. And I do it in a very low, no pressure situation. I'll set up a, a, a challenge with food far away from me. So there's no social pressure. They can make the decisions, blah, 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 blah. Having said that, there is nothing wrong with that dog having to show some signs of stress. Um, maybe a little, little lick, lick, lip, lick, maybe a little turn away. I'll let them noodle around in it. As long as they keep reorienting on 
the puzzle, whatever the puzzle might be, maybe a moving object or something they had to put their feet on, as long as they continue to reorient, I will permit a dog to feel anxious and feel a little worried as long as they're continuing to work on the problem because I feel that that builds that resilience. I totally agree. Well, and it's kind of that, like, you have to experience it to know that it's not going to kill you. Like... (laughs) Oh my, I can tell a story about that one. So I had a dog that was given to me as an adult. He was scared of everything. So I was trying to teach him some scent work and I have my tin of odor and he's like, I can't look at it. It's going to kill me. And I'm like, Calvin, it's, it's there. Just, just sniff it. And he's like, I can't, it's going to kill me. And I finally just held his collar and put it on his nose. And he was like, Oh, I d- I didn't it didn't kill me. Okay, I can do this. <laughs> well, and it's it's like we had to do it uh, last week with later a little bit, moving the sheep off the fence. She is like, I, no, you do it. I'll stay behind you, and I will catch him after you get him off the fence. And so, you know, we were trying different ways to get her to initiate going in and moving the sheep. And finally, Sue's like, take her by the collar. And so... I took her by the collar and, you know, the first time I literally dragged her up behind the sheep. And of course the sheep start moving and she's like, ah, gotta go. And she takes off and it's all fine. And then the next time I just had to take her by like two fingers in the collar and like kind of gently point her towards the fence. And she's like, oh yeah, that's right. They move. And then after that, it was fine. But if you looked at the first scenario, I li- like she literally had her butt tucked underneath her, left a trail in the dust dragged her up to those sheep but she needed to learn that like i have to get up there if i want them to move and i really 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 want them to move so yeah so in essence it is okay to challenge the dogs it's okay to make things hard for them so they learn to try harder to push more to give more yeah and the hard part is though i think that like i was saying this is it's a delicate dance because it's not something the average dog owner can do without fucking up their dog. Like there is, there is a balance point of just enough challenge that they can be successful while still being outside their comfort zone and not so much that you ruin the dog for that activity for all eternity. Right. Because I I was going to say the method that you're describing with later, I would absolutely be appalled if I saw that happen for 99% of people and dogs. Because that's essentially flooding is what is what that is. Right. And your dog to to do that, your dog has to have a huge learning history of trusting you, Mm -hmm. or you're going to break that. They have to have a massive learning history of learning that they can overcome scary things. And they, the reward has to be so massive that once they understand that that reward, reward is accessible after the thing, in this case, sheep, which is, we know, yeah. <laughs> we know what that is. So if you had done that, say, for going over a scary object, but the reward was 15 kibble, that might be enough for your dog to say, I'm never trusting you to touch my collar again. I'm never right. trusting that scary object again. And screw your damn kibble. Right. And and you have to, like, in that particular situation, I had to trust that those sheep were going to behave in a way to make her successful. Like, it had the, had the sheep all scattered, turn around, and come up behind me, that wouldn't have gone the way it was supposed to go. And it would not have had the same learning curve for her. 
So uh, that goes with one of my other points is we have to give our dogs a foundation to pull from. If you had done that exercise the very first time she, she saw sheep, she would right, have right. gone, forget this, screw the sheep. Yeah, yeah no, and at this point she has already had, you know, enough learning history of knowing that that she wants the sheep to move and that she can make the sheep move. And so it was just, she'd had, you know, 17 to 30 different trials of how she could make the sheep move herself. And this was just one she hadn't encountered before. And so she didn't know what to do with it. So in this case, that method worked well for her. But you're right. It, had it been with a less, you know, experienced instructor or a less experienced dog and it had been early on in the training, that would have not gone well at all. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we, we always say kids have to learn to add, subtract, multiply, divide before they can do algebra. You know, you were asking her to do algebra at that point, but you already taught her all those basic skills needed to be able to do algebra so she could handle it. Right. And then the thing, too, is that, you know, and again, it's that whole balancing thing that we're talking about. So I asked her to do this really, really tough thing for her. Um, and it had a huge reward. And then we went back and did really simple stuff. Just move them around however you want to do. You want to be stupid with them, be stupid with them. Get rid of that, that stress energy. Like, you know, do big circles, whatever, whatever. Just have fun. And then, you know, the next time she had to do that, it was, you know, it was a whole other session. She got out of the ring already. She'd had a chance to cool off, calm down, think about it, marinate on it. And then the next time we did it, it was, you know, she was like, oh, all right, got it. And again, it was still, even though it was easier for her that second time, it was still, okay, now just move the sheep. However, you're going to move them, just move them. We'll worry about details later. So, you know, there's, there's that aspect too, is that the trainer, either doing the training or that you're working with has to be savvy enough to let the dog down after that like to recognize that this was a really big thing and you did it and now we can just like do some algebra for a while and not have to worry about the calculus correct correct really great trainer i know used to tell me to take the dog home put it in the crate and let it sleep for 20 minutes <laughs> and it made a difference a good thing yeah so how would you recommend then, like if, if our listener at home has a, what we would call a wimpy dog or a, a less than bold dog, what are some of the things that you would recommend just like average dog owners could do without probably messing it up too badly to help build confidence? Give the dog choices. So say I've, I've taught my dog to touch my hand with their nose. Nice little hand target. Now in my other hand, I'm gonna put food and I'm gonna ask them to touch. And if they go for the food, it's no big deal. The food just goes away until the dog goes, oh wait, there's that open hand. You give me cookies when I touch that hand. Boom, they have just learned to make a hard choice on their own with no punishments, nothing bad happened and they got what they wanted for doing what you wanted. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, starting so simple like that can make the harder ones come easier. Right. right. 
You know, and it, it Leanna and I had talked about this before with um with later in, in herding. When we first started she wouldn't lie down when I asked her to. It was it was too much. And I realized that in my bid to be purely positive, the consequence for not lying down was you didn't get the treat. Well, when you're feeling completely overwhelmed about what's going on in front of you, not getting a treat doesn't seem nearly so bad as possibly dying from being trampled by sheep. You're like, I, I'll take the lose the loss on this one, right? Um, and so we had to go back and work on, no, you don't get a choice. If I tell you to lie down, you lie down. And that was really, like, that was a hard thing for her to do because you know, we had to move on from having choice, right? Like she, she passed that level and needed to, she needed to Mario up and uh, (laughs) it was, and it was, you know, it it was just a, it was a lesson for me too in recognizing when to move on to the next step and that, oh, hey, there is a next step after (laughs) lie down, you get the treat. Don't lie down, you don't get the treat. But there's more to it. But I think for, for people just starting out, that's, you know, that's a fantastic way. And there's so many places in their life that they can give their dog choices on things. I mean, if you start thinking about it and specifically looking for those options, you'll find that there's a ton of places in your dog's life that you can give them options. You know, like you want to go out the door, you know, maybe back up two feet first or sit down or lie down or go to your bed or whatever. And then you can go out the door you know and and it's not necessarily nothing in life is free i know people have a cer about that that phrase but um it's just more it's you know it's choice again it's just choice but but i i also tell people like that simple thing of make a choice between touching my hand or getting the food that's the beginning of your distraction training yeah and that is a very minor distraction so we are teaching them to work through distractions in this very simple way. And then we can add bigger distractions and bigger distractions. Well, can you touch my hand when I drop the food? Can you touch my hand when I drop the food on your head? Um, When I throw it across the room, you know, build them up that way, little steps. And, And the nice thing about that kind of a system is that the dog starts to understand that the behavior that they're doing drives the response there, because there's no pressure on the wrong decision, there's, there's no, there's, then they can, then they can start taking those chances. You can't take a chance if you're afraid of the outcome. And of course, that's what happens when you have a dog who is non-resilient is they're frightened of the outcome. You know, if I go out the door, the monsters will eat me. If I, if there's a thunder, if I hear thunder, maybe that means the world's going to explode. And once you start teaching dogs that they can control some of the outcomes, then that builds the ability to understand that, oh, okay, I get it. If I do A, then B always happens. And now I've got this learning history that in certain circumstances, I do have control over my environment. I like to use a, a look at me cue without a word. I don't teach look at me because I have border collies, my God. And, uh, <laughs> but when I'm dealing with noise, because obviously border collies, I, I deal with noise phobia a lot. And 
that's a hard thing because most dogs can have no control. I mean, we have we live down here in thunderstorm country, and I can't control thunder, and or jets flying over, or people living in the city where there's jackhammers and what have you. But if you can give them a little piece of control where you, I, I always like to tap a stick on a metal can. So I'll take a stick and I'll have a metal can. And the, the game is you look at me, I tap the stick that essentially turns into a marker, you get a reward. If you decide that the noise is too scary, then you can opt out. That, that is per, and I'm not gonna put any pressure, you're not on a leash, you can make your own choices. Um, this is not a situation where it's existential food, you still have dinner. <laughs> I don't, I don't use existential food for fearful dogs, excluding the box. I use, I do use the box thing that they talk about on the canine yep. paradigm. I do I like love that. the box. I love the box work. Yes. And I, but I will tell owners, I will tell owners first that this is ex existential food. And if you are uncomfortable with that, then, then that's fine. You have that right to be uncomfortable with that. And we will find another way. Or if the dog is like, there's a box in the room, I can't, I can't approach the room. <laughs> then we need, we need, then to, you need more work before you get to the box. Need, yeah, we need to then maybe you shouldn't have gotten a, maybe a you shouldn't bit. have gotten a border collie. <laughs> no, those aren't border collies. Those are rescues. Those are always rescues. But um, you know, the dog who wandered the streets for six months and was picked up by animal control and then got distemper and was you know locked up for another six months and. So, um, and, but then those dogs cases, you know, I'm, let's start with, can they approach the box? But I do, I do like the box works and I use that kind of a background for all of my anxiety cases while I'm doing the other, the other training, but the other training is all about choice. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think to it really, I mean, and this is part of why I got later into herding is I think it's fun to watch that light bulb of I can control my environment and I have control over the situation. Um, when that light bulb goes off, I think that their confidence skyrockets um, because they realize it's not about the world happening to them. It's about them controlling their world. Yeah. So, you know, once that light bulb goes off and they do understand they are more in control, that's also when I start pushing them to give more. I want them to push and drive to get what they want. So example, Cinch. Cinch can be a hard, hard little dog, but Cinch can also go, oh, this is too hard. I can't work this hard. <laughs> um, and there's this, this thing we do and it builds into to more, of course, but I have her on a leash and I toss a piece of food just out of reach and I want her to pull to get to that food. She loves food, she's very food motivated, but she stops, she goes, I can't pull, I just can't, that's too much. And you know, and it's like, just go get it, Sanch, it's your food, go get it. And she's like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, you know, we did get her working for that because eventually I want her using that same power to pull to get her dumbbell, to pull to go to her go out place, to pull and to drive and to give as much effort as she can to get to these things. But if she can't do it for food, I sure as heck cannot ask her to, to do that, to go to a dumbbell. No, oh. yeah, <laughs> dumbbell, yeah, and they're like, mm, that's pretty boring. Yeah. So, so, so do you work, um, so I take it before you even kind of start down the road, you are really gonna try to build as much 
uh, like food, so food drive, and then do you, do you use a lot of play, play drive? Do you yes. kind of integrate both? both. I, I use both, and I don't always use both in the same session. So like yesterday morning, we went out and worked the broad jump in a, a series of exercises, and we just had a ball on a rope out there. I didn't even have food on me, but, you know, she's just as happy working for that ball and getting to tug and be a crazy dog with that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so the next question I was going to ask is: so once you once you've started down, kind of started down the road, I think the the issue that people ha I think there are a couple of things that owners really stall on. I think the first is the understanding that this when you get these kinds of dogs, and we're talking about dogs who are who are truly fearful and kind of what I have what I refer to as global anxiety. They're just the world is terrifying and. And you know, thunder is scary, and the person outside the window is scary, and that whole that whole thing that goes with that is that a if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, and because the dog will absolutely start to backslide on you. I mean, this three months that we took off with my border collie, even though I socialized her and did everything right with her, and she's had a good lines and you know, blah 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 blah. Even just taking that three months made her a little bit of stranger dangery. He, she's like, oh. I haven't seen a person in three months. You must be a murderer. And I'm like, you goober, it's, that's not true. And she, of course, is a resilient dog. And this is just one little piece. But if you had a dog who was already had a long learning history of, of fear behavior and, and that mental response to any, any novel experience or situation, that's going to immediately backslide. And so the first thing I think we always have to remind people is, is this is a, this is a lifelong thing. I mean, maybe your dog hits 12 or 13 and you can kind of relax, but you're going to want to keep moving forward. You don't just say, oh, she's fixed. She's now confident. And so I want to know what you do to kind of keep, keep them, keep rolling in that direction without just constantly either having to like, okay, now we're going to learn to to uh, parachute out of a plane <laughs> strapped to my chest, like the border patrol dogs. <laughs> <laughs> without having to cut, keep upping the ante and getting the dog to the point where they're like, okay, the challenges are just getting ridiculous, mom. I mean, we're not doing Everest. So I, I think it becomes like a way of life. We're not always looking for the new challenges, but I'm looking for, oh, you're kind of looking really hard at, at that kid on the bike today. I need to come outside every day when those kids are out on bikes and just do some mat work, do some relaxation, do something to help you work through this new thing that I'm seeing in you. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it's hard because nobody gets a dog for the purpose of having to work on a project remedial <laughs> behavior yeah. every day, all day. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that goes to, I think we have six mountains and 4,000 miles to go when it comes to educating the general public on what a stable, sound, well-adjusted dog slash puppy looks like. I mean... And getting the dog who's cowering in the back of the shelter because, oh, he looked so sad. Good for you. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Please don't think that's wrong. But you just probably bought yourself a lifelong commitment to working with and training this dog 
so that they don't the worst thing I used to hate when I'd go, when, when I'd have people come into the veterinary hospital with dogs like that, and they'd come into the room and the dog would slide underneath the, the bench and not come out for the entire exam, except for when they were slid out and we, they were catatonic from terror. And the owner would say, oh, well, he's adopted. That's how, he, that's the way he is. And I'm like, he's, that is inexcusable. That is not how he has to be. That is an absolutely horrible life for this dog. It is inexcusable for you to permit this dog to live like this. Do something for this dog. Do yeah. something. But there's a psychology behind it, too, of I am the great and powerful rescuer, and this dog needs me to take care of it because clearly it's an emotional wreck, and I'm the only one he trusts. Ego, 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 ego. Well, or just naivete. They just don't know any better. They think, mm. well, somebody said, you know, the dog is really scared. And you're like, oh, I've put this label on the dog. The dog is really scared. And it's like, no, the dog's behavior is fear-related. The dog is a dog, and you can you can mitigate fear. You can train past fear. Now, yes, that dog is probably never going to morph into a wild, happy golden who just dur -dur -dur crashes into everything and loves every person. But you can absolutely get that dog so that you can go for a walk and it can, it can enjoy other human beings, even if it's at a distance, and feel comfortable in its own skin and, and move forward. But that is a systematic approach that cannot be handled in a ham-handed manner that right. it, it has to be systematic it has to be incremental it cannot be oh just put him on a leash and drag him over the thing it's nothing which is incredibly disrespectful i hate that that approach the mental state the arrogance of it it's i always tell people that is the same attitude I understand it's nothing. I get it. I get it. The dog is like, that's a terrifying blue tarp on the floor and it eats dogs. And I'm going, it's dude, it's a plastic tarp. But it's incredibly rude and asshole, honestly, of me to simply drag the dog over the tarp or put all the dog's food on the tarp and say, don't eat until you go on the tarp. Any, any more than it would be for me to walk up to somebody and say, it's just a damn tarantula. Deal with it. Yeah, no. See, and... I'm terrified of heights, like, like three steps up on a step ladder, terrified of heights. And I have had people who are like, oh, just come up to the edge of the uh, Grand Canyon. Just, just, just look. And like, I'm a logical human, right? So I might be able to like manhandle my brain into doing it for three seconds, but at no point is it enjoyable. In no way am I going to choose to do it again by myself, right? Um, it's, you, ha when dealing with dogs that have anxiety or fear, we have to, have to, have to, have to start getting over, um, and communicating to dog owners that it's not them being defiant. It's not them trying to get away with something. It's not them, like, trying to play you. That is a true and real and visceral fear and for you to not give them to tool, the tools to manage that and to learn how to work through it, that's just cruelty. That's just straight up cruelty, plain and simple. Like Zane, my, my old dog now, it's hard saying Zane's my old dog, but he is. My best my boy. boy. When I got him at eight weeks, he was scared of the world. I mean, he saw dogs, he hid under chairs, he saw people, he hid under chairs, he... He could not function. He was scared of everything. 
I turned, I mean, did Zane ever turn into the wonderful, confident, I can take on the world? No, he still has fears, but he learned to trust me. He learned that I would help him in all of those situations. And he learned to look at me for guidance on how to react to something he was worried about. You know, and a lot of that was through controlled unleash work and through bat type work. But we got him to where he could function and he could very successfully compete in all the things I asked him to do. Mm -hmm. And stand for a blood draw. Yes. (laughs) But here's the thing. Here's the thing with Zane, too, because so full disclosure, I was one of the techs for Nita when she was a, a client at our clinic. And Zane was, I adored Zane because Zane would come in and it was it was a thing with vet clinics. Like this is the one thing he never managed to quite conquer is vet clinics freaked him out. And so there were a couple of times where he had to come and stay with us and we would do a blood draw. And so there's Zane in his kennel run, shaking and drooling and looking, you know, generally pathetic. And Tex would go back and be like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. And I would be like, won't you? No, do not. And I'd go back there and I'd put the slip lead on him. I'm like, come on, let's go. And he would go like, oh, okay. And, you know, I'd take him out into the treatment room and we'd sit and we'd down and we'd heal and we'd, you know, do some obedience stuff. And he'd be like, okay, all right, you're in charge and you know what you're doing. All right, now sit down and we're going to draw your blood. And he would, you know, he'd get the wide eyes and he'd kind of be like, I might die. This might be where I die. Am I dead? Did I die yet? No? Okay. And then he would, you know, it'd be through it. cookies are over there. You owe me one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And as soon as it was done, it was done. But the second anybody played into that, oh, you poor thing, he... It made it so much worse. And it's hard because, again, you have to know the dog. Um, but, you know, there's people that would say that, that is not a, that's not a positive approach. That's not cooperative veterinary care. That's not. But for him, it, yeah, for him, it was. For him, it was infinitely more cruel to play into the insecurity and make him feel like he had a reason to be that nervous. So Uh, on a side note with Zane, once I learned condition relaxation, if I can do six good cycles of CR before the vet comes into the exam room, he'll just lay there and let the vet do whatever he wants. Doesn't worry about it at all. Well, and it's, you know, it's like making that appointment for the dentist where, you know, you're going to get a root canal and psyching yourself out that it's going to be like the worst experience on the face of the planet. And, you know, you go in shaking and nauseous and then, you know, they like pre-numb you before the Novocaine. They're a genius with the needle in the Novocaine and you never feel a thing and the whole thing is fine. And you come out and you're like, oh, all right. You know, or going in on half a Valium before you can even get yourself all worked up and you're like, whatever, it's cool. It's fine. I don't care. So, and then it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and then it's never an issue. So, Nita, you talked about condition relaxation, and I think that's something we probably need to explain to people because I there is, I think every trainer or training system has their own version of the CR. Uh, I know Training Between the Ears has a CR, and I believe uh, Leslie McDermott has one. McDevitt, I think she has one. So, where where did you get yours, and which one is it, and how does how it work? Does it work? I did get it from Training Between the Years. Okay. okay. It is the condition relaxation using 
a body movement to get the dog to gradually go down and onto their side and relax. Okay. Like I said, I just know there's several of them and I wanted to kind of explain to people so, what, it was. what it was. Yep. That's the one I use. Um, I do get it on a cue. So I tell them what we're going to do and we start, but they're, I mean, as soon as my hands go on them after I've said, I want you to get easy, they're just like flopping on their sides and going, okay. <laughs> okay well, yeah, cool. because now they have that, that built learning history of knowing where that's going to end up. So, And, and uh, just like the resilience, you start that at home with no distractions, with nothing fearful, with nothing going on, and you build it up to being able to do it in all these other environments. Right. Yep. And so there's a bunch of you know, tools and methods and protocols and, and things out there for this. Um, but I think the, the, the problem that comes into play is they're not sexy. You know, they're not, it's not a, it's not a fancy thing. Um, and it's not something you could show off to your neighbors of, Hey, look, I tell my dog to get easy and he flops over and they're like, Oh, that's great. Um, oh, they'd appreciate it if they had a boxer. Right? No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. But I mean, it's it's like one of those things that's vitally important and yet not pretty. Like, so so people don't want to put the time and the effort. And again, it's also nuanced, which is hard for new trainers or, or general dog owners. Um, well, and to be fair, it's like, it's kind of, so when we this will make sense in a minute. So when we bought our, our property, we bought our property and we were in the middle of do, do, doing due diligence on our well because the well was kind of sketchy and they were hauling water and I never wanted to live like that again. And we bought the property because there was a bidding war, blah, blah, blah. And of course, within, I think within the first five years, the well went dry and we then had to drop a unholy amount of money on into the well, like half the value of our property went down a 1400 foot hole in the ground. And it doesn't add a freaking thing to the value of the property because guess what? People expect to be able to have running water when they buy property. The same thing with dogs. People, ex when you buy a dog, you ex or get a dog, I, you know, get a dog however you want it, you kind of expect that dog to come with certain behaviors. And those behaviors are they can go on a walk without peeing their pants. They can chase a ball. They can interact or go to the dog park or hang out with the kids or interact with strangers when they come in the house. And so that is that that's considered the baseline for people. And and I can't I can't fault them for that. I mean, if you told me, Leanne, you have a choice between two dogs, this one's hiding in the back of the crate and is terrified. And this one's like bouncing off the walls, loving you. I'm going to take the easy dog because I'm not stupid. <laughs> and I know how much work it takes to do the other dog. I love working with the other dog, but I don't want it in my own home because I don't want to do work with my own dogs. I want to work on, <laughs> I want to do other the stuff people. that comes past that. You know, I, I got the baseline. I want the baseline, but I want to keep going like you do, Nita. You want to keep, you have, if you have a fearful dog and you want to do, it sounds like you do obedience and rally and all of that. Now you've got a year of training first before you can even start w looking at show rings. 
And so I understand people kind of saying, well, wait a minute, I just bought a house without a well. <laughs> How do, what are you talking? I can't flush toilet. What are you talking about? Same <laughs> thing is people go out and they get a dog and, and of course they get the cute one that's hiding in the back. I, you, I can't blame them. They feel sorry for it. They get the, oh, he's so sweet. He, you know, he came up to us, but he was really, you know, he loved only us. And I get it. And, and then they're like, well, wait, now I've got this dog who every time the kids' friends come over, hides in the back and barks for six hours straight or pees its pants or, or cut, yeah, or eats the kids. Well, now they've just signed up for a project. They didn't want a project. They wanted a dog. And so I can't fault people because I work with these people all the time and, and that, that is not what they wanted to spend their money on. No. It is not what they wanted to spend their time on. And it's certainly not the training, if at all. I mean, a lot of people don't even want to really do any training and that's fine. You know, that I have no problem with that. But they certainly didn't anticipate getting this dog and then dropping, you know, a couple grand on a trainer and then doing a boatload of training and going and hearing from the trainer. Oh, and by the way, this is a lifelong commitment. You're not going to, you don't, the dog doesn't run one marathon and quit. Right. <laughs> this is your, you've committed to this world. So I think we have to be very respectful of the fact that that's not what people sign up for when they get dogs. So Nita, if you had to, so somebody's gotten a, a puppy, right? And it's a fairly average puppy, you know, nothing, maybe not raised with puppy culture, but totally fairly normal puppy, no major phobias or fears. What would you suggest to them to help build resiliency right from the beginning? What sort of exercises would you be like, all right, here's what you're going to want to do to make your life better later on? Um, first of all, build that food drive with their meals, you know, and, and it's simple. And, and when, especially with little puppies, you don't use a whole meal. You do like 10 kibble, getting them to do things and you're done. They get the rest right, of right. the food just, just to eat. Um, you get them out and you introduce them to new things, the socialization. Along the way, I'm also teaching them they don't have to visit every dog and every person out there, that it's about me. I am your world now. Um, look to me for, for what you need. That's where we get into some of the control unleashed and the bat work. Um, but then start adding the puzzles, the challenges, the... Um, Oh, you know, sit out on the porch and just get them to relax while the world goes by and they don't get to do anything and interact with anything or, you know, join the excitement. They learn to just relax, to be with you. I mean, that's going to build some of the best behaviors you can get towards your resiliency because they're not thinking they have to be part of everything that goes on. And this would work right. for adult dogs, too. I mean, this... Yeah. This is valuable for adult dogs as well, is the understanding that, because I think a lot, of, I think it's hard, well, for people too, <laughs> to just sit for a couple minutes and let the world go by. It, that's, you ask a human to do that and they're like, uh, I can't do that. Yeah. But yeah. asking so them I, to do I it I have a, a teenage boy, a dog teenage boy, <laughs> right now, who, you know, he did all this control unleashed work in class and learned to be calm except he's an adolescent right now and he is not calm and he wants to be in the middle of everything. So there are times I either go on the front porch, the front yard, or we walk to a park and we just stand there until he gets bored and he goes to sleep. 
And it's like, okay, now we can go on. Yeah. I don't yep. want yep. him to always believe it's go, 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 more, more, more. I want him to go, okay, we're just standing here. I'll relax until you tell me we're doing something else. Yeah, and that's a huge... And it, Again, it's not sexy training, right? It's not something that's going to... No, but here's the thing. You know what that translates to is... I'm going to go take my dog. I'm going to sit on an outside patio and have lunch because that's the only place it's safe to sit these days. And my dog can chill out and, you know, watch the world go by and not jump on the waiter and not freak out if, you know, somebody walks by on the sidewalk and like he can come with me or I'm going to go and, you know, sit in a park someplace and read a book and I'm going to bring my dog and he's going to, you know, just chill out next to me and, and watch the world go by. Or I'm going to go um, sit and watch an outside movie you know, and there will be food and kids and everything else. And I can take my dog. What it, it seems like such simple, boring training, but it opens the world to your dog in a way that allows them to have a much more enriched and fulfilling life with you. Yes. And so and it is boring. It's boring yeah. standing out there waiting for him because I mean, he's like, there are ants in the grass. I'll watch the ants. Oh, look, a leaf just blew down. And it's like, will you just go to sleep? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's, I mean, and it's, yeah, it's absolutely, it's not fun training for us. It's not, again, it's not sexy. It doesn't look pretty. It's not fancy. It's not something you can show off to your neighbors, like, you know, until they get good at it and you can go out and eat and bring your dog and it doesn't do anything. Um, but it's, it's some of these beginning behaviors of building resiliency and building um, that trust between the, the dog and the owner. What it does is it allows for so much more for that dog later on. It's um, the addition and the subtraction that we are teaching the elementary kids before they learn multiplication and division and then move on to mm -hmm. algebra. We're building those foundations that they need for life. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you get, you get these people who are like, well, I want to take my dog everywhere. Well, your dog is knocking futs and is like bouncing off the walls and people within immediate vicinity despise this dog before they even know it. So by all means, take it out in public on a regular basis. Or put in the foundation work, do the boring stuff, you know, teach the the ability to problem solve and trust and listen and turn off and shut down and, you know, all of these just basic life coping skills, you know, maybe take a year or two and put in the time to do this stuff. And then for the next 15 years, you have a dog that you can take anywhere and do anything with. Yes. And so I mean, I mean, a good reminder there is from that 18 months to three years, dogs are jerks. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, Seriously. they're pushing boundaries they're you know they're dyeing their hair purple they're hiding yes. the keys in the crisper drawer in the refrigerator so they can yes. sneak yeah. out at night i mean they're, they they're, absolutely they're, they absolutely yeah. think oh, you can't, can't smell the pot in the underwear yeah. drawer <laughs> yeah. um but after they turn three typically things do start getting better we just have to get through that rough patch well, and also we have to look at that rough patch as communication from the dog, right? Like 
that is the prime time that those dogs will tell you what's going to be an issue for the rest of their life. That is the, t the period of their life where they're going to go, hey, I know I was fine with somebody walking past the house before, but now I'm going to bark my head off. And that's their way of saying, I used to be okay with this and now I'm not. I don't understand why they keep going by and why they won't come back and talk to me. I don't understand, you know, and well, every time and I bark, they leave. that's what I am going through with my adolescent male. He used to be just fine with everything going by, but all of a sudden he has decided every person that we walk by and every dog that we walk by, he should go visit. And he's getting frustrated because he can't go visit. So now I'm having to do some extra work to make sure we don't turn that frustration into reactivity. Right, right, right. and to calm down and relax in those situations. So no. one of the puppies that I have still with me um, is a frustration barker. That's that's what causes it. And his big primary trigger is I when he sees me go into the dog room to get the dog food. Now it takes a hot second to get the you know get their puppy food out add the water, put it in the tray. Like it really, honestly, it's like 10 seconds. But with that bark, that paint peeling, ear splitting, <laughs> reverberating awesome puppy bark. shriek. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it feels like three hours. So, you know, of course I tried the tried and true method initially of screaming, shut up at the top of my lungs, which shockingly didn't that work. That wasn't effective. I can't believe that. No, no. He's like, you're barking too. This is fantastic. Um, which is to say that dog trainers are still human and sometimes we just do dumb shit. Um, we, we trigger stack too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which was our last podcast. Yes. Um, but then my, my trainer brain came out and went, well, how can I, how can I get him to stop shrieking if the reason he's shrieking is that I'm across the room? Like, what am I going to do? Well, from across the room to get him to stop shrieking, right? And it was just like, well, why does he have to be in there? Why can't he come with me while I go get the food? You know, it, th there's no reason. He's excited. He should be excited about food. I want him excited about food. And let me tell you, I take the food bowl over and I, you know, sit there and wait for half a second and they both sit quietly for their food. So it's not that he's incapable of self-control he's just really excited so i can sit there and let him practice that behavior every day three times a day for the next two weeks before he goes home sherry well, if you're new, listening i'm not doing owner that owner will love you yeah i was just gonna say sherry <laughs> if you're listening i'm not doing that by the way um or i could just let him out and let him come with me and you know what a great opportunity you can come out and then you know maybe you can sit while i get the food out and then you can get a treat and then you can you know walk with me and get a treat and then you can go back in the kennel and get a treat and then you can eat and then it's all of a sudden it's a not event but it's you and know when it's he's like, older and has more self-control and more knowledge then they can work on him sitting quietly in the other room while you go fix his food and bring it back right he's a baby right now yeah he's an absolute baby right now and he's allowed to be excited about things right because literally the world has existed for him for two months. Everything in it is still really fucking cool. Like, everything. So, yeah, all right. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, you order food at a restaurant, you do get kind of antsy waiting for it, right? Like, there's there's a only a certain latency you have before you want that Cheesecake Factory food right in front of you right now. 
Um, so I get it. But, it, you know, it's like there's a time and a place to build that resi- resiliency. And now's not that time. And my house is not that place. So in the meantime, I'm just going to mitigate the situation until so, he so can. So back to the math example, he's not even on addition and subtraction yet because he hasn't even learned his numbers yet. Right, still exactly. Got numbers. Right. Yep. And, you know, I think we as trainers need to, you know, if we're talking to Joe Schmo public, need to be cognizant of the fact that that's not something they're going to recognize, right? And I can't count the number of times I've had a puppy class where I tell people, it's okay for him to be stupid right now. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it is. It's okay. It's okay for him to not get this. It's okay for him to act like a little jerk right now. And here's why. And then now here's what you're going to start looking for, for when it's time to fix it. When you start seeing him doing this, then we're going to start saying, okay, no, that behavior is no longer acceptable. But right now he's allowed to be a baby dog and he's allowed to be dumb. It's okay. And they feel relief because, you know, a badly behaved dog is embarrassing. I don't care who you are. Like, I don't care what level of knowledge you have about dog training. It's embarrassing. When later wouldn't come in the dang ring the other day, it's embarrassing. I'm like, well, <clears throat> she's a failure. Sorry. <laughs> um, and it has nothing to do with my training at all. Let me tell no, you what. No, no, the no. dog has no reflection on the trainer ever, <laughs> there, there ever. Is, there is nothing better than being a known dog trainer working with a like a specific a trainer who's specific in one area and them looking at you and going, Have you ever trained an emergency recall? And you going, Hmm. Well, huh. Um Well, I tell all my students every recall is an emergency recall. Yeah, well, about that. Um <laughs> And I also tell them every down is an emergency because people teach an emergency down. I'm like, isn't that just a down at distance? You should be training that anyway. Right. Well, and it was it was just funny because it was like the cobbler's son has no shoes. You yes. know, I'm like, um, uh, I was going to get to that. <laughs> I swear I was going to get to that. And then Sue, because she's Sue, looks at me and she goes, how old is she again? Shut up, Sue. She's trying to be kind. She's like, does this should this dog know anything? Is she six months? She looks really good for six months. Shut up, <laughs> Shut up Sue. <laughs> I'm feeling personally attacked right now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling victimized. This goes back to what I tell people about my dogs. My dogs have a job in life. It's to keep me humble, humiliated, and embarrassed, and they do a darn good job of it. Every damn day. Every damn day. We had a we had a session. I guess it was about two weeks ago where she was just brilliant. Later was brilliant. She was on. She was nailing it. I mean, it was we were. She was just giving me everything I asked for perfectly. And when I left, I said to Sue, "Well, next week will be a complete shit show." And sure enough, it was. I mean, it just, it just straight up was. And that's like knowing that and being okay with that and letting your dog be a dog and letting yourself be a human sometimes is it makes the journey so much more fun. It really does. Because it's like, well, there it is. We know what we have to work on. So it's all information for us. And I and I, I do think that we need to, you know, make sure people in our regular dog classes know that. Like, there'll be days that your dog makes you feel like a moron. And there'll be days that 
you know, <laughs> your dog thinks you're a moron. So well, those are every day. That's yeah, every day. Yeah. My dogs are like if if yeah, yeah. I think I think I do better in rally if I just trot the dogs to read the damn signs because at this point yeah. they're like, okay, you know what? Can we get a better handler? This one sucks and can't read. Yeah, and no, my I'm dish sure. dogs are like, we, we, how can this woman not throw a damn Frisbee? How hard is it to throw? Who care it, can throw? I'm going home with whoever can throw a Frisbee the furthest. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I said when I was, you know, doing rally, I'm like, I have never paid so much money to embarrass myself in public before <laughs> in my life. Oh, but, you need to do a herding trial. Mm. Oh, <laughs> but here's the thing like i have been to shows where i've watched people have complete and utter meltdowns because their dog didn't perform as they expected or as they'd hoped and i get it like you you get amped up you get excited you know maybe it's that last run that you need for some big title or whatever and you have these expectations but when i watch these people come out of the ring and they just berate their dog or physically correct or attack their dog and they just stomp off and throw the dog into a kennel and bitch and moan and complain and generally have a two-year-old hissy fit i'm like are we having fun are you enjoying yourself yeah like if this is this is meant to be fun and at the end of the day you still take home the best dog ever so maybe treat it like that like maybe treat it like the best dog ever but coming back to the topic that is lack of resiliency in the human being well, absolutely. The, failure, absolutely. the failure to accept that shit goes sideways is is the failure of the human to have resiliency. And so I think we also have to be aware of our own. We're not all we're not all capable of jumping out of an airplane. We're not all capable of climbing Everest. I, I've read the book into thin air and it's freaking terrifying. So yeah. no part of stepping over corpses sounded like fun to me. So that we have to understand that that our dogs and our we're all biologically flawed creatures and when we lack we all lack resilience in certain places and and i was just talking to somebody on the phone their day who's doing her first obedience akc obedience show and you know her issue is that she gets too kind of spun up and i'm like i can tell you calm down (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there you go. There are the words calm down. But I said, you have to internalize that that has to be you have to go into the ring and say, I want to I'm gonna what my goal is, is to have fun with my dog. And, and that is your expectation is that you're going to have fun with your dog. And if shit goes sideways, that happened in that moment, it didn't happen before that moment, you didn't anticipate it. And you don't move, you don't carry it with you to the next thing. It's that second and uh, and it's hard for because I just used to I used to talk to kids all the time before they go into the show ring with horses and that I felt like a psychologist half the time I'm like just call because it's easy for me because I have no capacity for embarrassment and so it doesn't matter to me I mean but I say that but you know when I went for my first herding trial my goal was don't lose the sheep no matter what happens in a field where I can't even see the bloody fences Please, whatever you do, don't don't, don't take yeah. don't start chasing the sheep. And the next thing I know is I see sheep butts followed by a sheep dog and me screaming, "Come here, lie down, do anything, 
Yep. Who are you? Where did this dog come from? I'm leaving. Where's my dog? I don't want that. Yeah. So, but that was, that was my biggest fear. And I actually had to excuse myself from a ring at one point. Um, I was frustrated. I was, we had some sheep that were pretty savvy. They'd come around the pen one time already. And once they start playing that ring around the rosy shit and your dog gets sucked into that, you're screwed. And, and I've all, I don't know how to do gate work. I'm not good at it. I've never had to do it. My sheep, I just shove them in gates and they're fine. These sheep had already played that game and they're like, we're not going in there. And my dog is like, Shh, I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, well, no, no. How about if you come by or you go away? And so I'm screaming directions at this poor dog. And I realize all of a sudden I decide to change directions. I've been screaming the wrong direction at him. My body language was saying one thing. My screaming was saying another thing. And I'm like, we're done. And the judge says, oh, no, you still have points left. You don't have to have to quit. And I'm like, this is not getting better. There's this is not good for my dog. It's certainly not good for the sheep who are now learning for the next whoever, what other poor sap gets sucked in with that packet of sheep next that those sheep are like, we know how to avoid this pen. And so I'm training the sheep the wrong thing. I'm training my dog the wrong thing. I'm like, maybe I should just walk out. And, and that's, again, that is part of the resiliency that we're looking for in our dogs. And so I think we have to be aware of the fact that we're not always the most resilient species on earth either. And so I, you know, give yourself grace, give your dogs grace, give your dog so, space, give yourself space. Brene Brown, who I adore and think should be knighted by the queen, um, has this has this thing that she calls the FFTs. And it's that feeling of hopelessness, frustration, anger, like every icky feeling that you can possibly come up with when doing something new for the first time. And so it's it's the it's, she calls it being in the FFTs and it stands for fucking first time. Oh, okay. And what she says is that you have to recognize that that's what it is and that it's going to suck. Yeah. And the yeah. only way for it not to suck is to do it because then it's not the first time anymore. And I think that, you know, it's the same thing for dogs. Like, all of those feelings of ickiness and in- inadequacy and unsurety and if that's a word. And, it is now. Um, all of that. They have that too. And they they have to have that first time and they have to get through it and be, we have to support them through it for them to learn that, you know, it's not going to always be that way. But if you think about any time you've, like I have this every damn time I get in the herding ring. I just want to hand my dog off to Sue and let her do it because it's easier. She knows what she's doing. The dog won't be frustrated. She, you know, she would be 10 times ahead of where she is right now in her learning if I would just hand the dog over to Sue and let her do it. And Sue's willing to do that. And every time I show up, I'm like, you're still in the FFTs and you will be for a while because every day you go in there, it's something new. So you better just get in there and get through it. Um, And every time it gets less and less. Every week that I go, I have less feelings of dread, right? Like it's a it's still the first time, but it's building that resiliency in me of, no, I'm not going to die. And my dog probably won't hate me by the end of today. And I might actually learn something. And, and if you think about you and where you are in your hurting journey, you're still learning your ABCs. 
Oh God. You know, and I'm still learning how to stand on my feet. Time because you see the big picture, and you just don't see how you get from those ABCs to writing a book. Yeah, yeah, and I know it's out there because I've listened to much wiser people than myself who have gone ahead of me. I know that it gets better. I know that from hearing from people, like eventually you will see the picture. It, it'll come. Just stay with it. Just stay with it. And so I keep staying with it. Um, and it does. Every time it gets a little bit easier. There's a little more of the picture. Um, so when I went to Sue, I mean, 5,000 times, she's like, your dog is cutting in. Kick her back out. And I'm like, I do not see her cutting in on her outruns. You know? Yep. And finally, one day I went, you're cutting in. You get out. And I'm like, I saw it. But it <laughs> took months to build that, that, that picture in my brain of what it was going to look like so I could recognize it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because yeah. that's where I'm at. I was telling, I was telling Emily before. I actually do allow Sue to handle, handle, well, not allow. It makes it sound like I'm doing her a favor. <laughs> Please handle my, you're welcome. Go ahead, handle my dog. Um, because she has so much better eyes than I do. And so I'm trying to educate my eyes. So if I'm not, if I'm not handling the dog, then I can f fully function and focus on the dog. And my goal is to get my correction on the same second that she's giving her correction instead of 10 minutes later or what I didn't see that at all. Cause that, that happens a lot. I don't, I didn't see that at all. And it is intimidating. And, it, and going again, back to the resiliency thing we were talking about with the dogs, the more you face something that is hard and the more you succeed and you have to succeed. That is the important thing for building resilience in dogs. We cannot set them up to fail. We can set them up with a challenge, but there has to be a way that they can succeed. And if they cannot succeed, then we're going to have to cheat for them. I don't jump in right away, but if I see the dog quitting, that tells yeah. me I've fucked up. And yep, I've you've taken, gone too far. I've taken too big a step, and I need, to, I need to cut back. And we cannot permit these dogs, especially if they have lack any resiliency at all, to fail. Because then that becomes habitual, and it becomes a learned behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, just like any learning creature, if you can find an easy way out of a unpleasant situation, of course, you're going to take it like that's just that's just general learning of any conscious creature. You know, that's that's the way it goes. But yeah, until well, until you build the desire to over because I think I see, I don't think that's always true. I think, I mean, there is. Oh, yeah. If you don't have the learning history. Right, yeah. There's, um, I mean, there's contra freeloading, which we know that dogs do, which is, uh, my understanding is every animal does it that they've tested except for cats, which sounds so appropriate, which yeah. is where a dog or an animal, any test subject minus cats, will do a puzzle for food over simply getting it for free. They want to be challenged, but the challenge has to be, it cannot be insurmountable. You do not start off and say, okay, we're going to start your running career. Here's 26.2 miles. I'll see you in four hours. You, you can't start there. And if that's your goal, you still have to realize, you know, you talk to somebody and say, okay, I want you to do a marathon. You don't say you're going to do it in a month. You don't say you're going to do it in six months. You say, I'll see you in a year. And people yeah. have no problem imagining that. But when you tell them that it's going to take a year for their dog who's hiding underneath the couch 
to be able to go and in, out into public or go into the agility ring the first time, they're they're they shut down. And you can't. And again, it's it, you have to be able to walk people through the understanding of this is a marathon for this dog. This is this dog's marathon. This is yep. their Everest, and we cannot start from where they are with the expectations that you have and expect to cover that ground in a month or two months. Yeah. So I think that's, that's where we have to always be on the, in the realm of permitting our good dogs to have, to have choice as often as possible. Cause then they'll tell us if the mountain is too high or the distance right. is too far. So, yeah. Um, Okay, so we are going to, unless we have anything exciting to add, we're going to kind of wrap it up. Um, I want to thank Nita. That was a fantastic Absolutely. conversation. We'll have to do it yeah. again. Yes. And um, I'll let Emily do her fancy wrap-up because I think she does it better without screwing up words. I have a fancy wrap-up. I knew I had a fancy opening. I didn't think I had a fancy uh, yeah, wrap-up. No, every time your opening is different, it's like our one listener. We are thanking <laughs> Bob, our listener. <laughs> We, we really do need to give give our one listener a name. Um, um, actually, we did get another five-star review. So we have five five-star reviews on iTunes. I cannot find reviews on Spotify or any of those other things. So that I that's beyond my blah. But we do have, and we've had over 500 downloads. So we do have more than one listener. Uh, well, we have more than one computer that's downloading us, whether or not people are actually listening. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> shout out to my mom for figuring out how to leave a review. Um, exactly. And it, it was it was my mother-in-law was one of them um, because she was trying to figure out, we were trying to figure out how to do comments. We couldn't figure that one out because I'm like, oh. I'm not reading any comments. And, and it's because I don't think anybody can figure out how to leave comments. Oh. So, uh, but we do we'll want to thank those people and we do want to say... Um, Absolutely. Share, 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 subscribe. If you want to hear more nonsense every week, yes. um, subscribe, even if you don't want to listen to it, because it just makes us feel better. Yeah, we do. Um, it's fluffy. Makes us happy. It is. Yeah. Um, it helps build, our <laughs> helps build our resiliency. Um, so yes, thank you, Nita. It is so good to hear you. And I um, hope that you're moving back to Arizona really, really soon for completely selfish reasons. So <laughs> Which every, I say, say, who knows what's happening in the next year? Because no one, the world the is burning. Our life has gone the past four years. Well, right, we can, right, we right. don't even know what's happening tomorrow. So, frankly, next yes. year is completely out of the question. Speaking of building resiliency, my oh. God, we should all be great by the end oh, of this my year. God, so stressed um, out, neurotic messes, but great at resiliency we will have all the details of the this particular podcast in the show notes now that i understand how to do it the show notes will there'll be basic ones on your podcast thingamabob with a link to a blog post about this with the details about we discussed bat we discussed um various people training between the ears and so i want to give links to all of that so that people yeah. know where to go and what the hell we're talking about Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Have a good one, guys. Thank you all. Bye. 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 Bye.